Spoken Word, half an hour of poetry and performance, your connection to Melbourne's grassroots poetry scene, the voice of those of us who have nothing but our voices. Good morning, this is the 3CR Spoken Word Program. My name is Di Cousins and today I'm interviewing Alice Wanderer who has reviewed the book A Kind to See by Felicity Plunkett and we're recording this interview um, at a distance so a bit of technology in the lockdown period. How are you going Alice? Good, how are you? Oh good. So thanks for reviewing the book. Oh, I really enjoyed it. It's a it's a great book. Wonderful. So, um, what I thought I'd ask you to do is to just read the uh, review that you've written, and um, and uh, and we'll just see how that goes. Okay, let's start then. Felicity Plunkett's a kinder sea. Felicity Plunkett's a kinder sea is an ambitious collection of poetry written by a highly discriminating explorer of language. This is not surprising, given Plunkett's career. She has a PhD in literature from Sydney University, worked as an academic for 12 years, has been the uh, chief examiner, HSC chief examiner, and was the poetry editor at Queensland University Press from 2010 to 2018. She has also contributed reviews and essays to most of the high-quality literary journals in Australia. A Kinder Sea, which was written over a seven-year period, is her second full-length collection. Her first, Vanishing Point, was the winner of the Arts Queensland Thomas Shapcott Poetry Prize. From the first glance, A Kinder Sea impressed me by how Plunkett works to make every word count. Not that I was always sure as to what exactly some of her words counted for. Indeed, the sharp image, the precise and accurate choice, is often played against language's slipperiness. She clearly enjoys consciously illuminated ambiguity. Musicality, too, is extremely important to her. She delights in internal rhymes, slant rhymes, and sometimes end rhymes. And her rhythmic sense of how to place these sonorous words is perhaps even more exquisite. Take, for example, the first lines of Anomide, a poem about the the transfiguration that can result from loss and death, a key concern of the book as a whole. Not for the first time, Plunkett sent me to the dictionary, this time to check the meaning of her title. Anomide are bivalve mollusks with shells rather like oyster shells. And the picture shows they're made of something bright, light and airy. You may know them as jingle shells or mermaid's toenails. Anomide, where the sea has eaten your heart, your edges sharpen gold, where waves roll, has folded you, bold, small part, amber the sand. The repeated where, which continues as a structural element throughout the poem, and the repeated O sounds in gold, roll and bold, give these lines a mourning quality. 
but it is Amber the Sand that I particularly enjoy. Amber the Sand. Amber the Sand. The use of stress and intonation here with the A of cat in both Amber and Sand, lengthened by the nasal that follows and the schwa of the two central unstressed syllables is almost an oral palindrome. The fact that the sound is also so close to the sound of the word ampersand may not be an accident. There are small parts and small parts and small parts everywhere. These lines are also spaced to give the impression of an incoming or withdrawing wave. Other poems also use the look of the line on the page performatively. For example, the first stanza of the final part of the six-part poem Yellow reads, F. Scott Fitzgerald invented his. My epigraph is flipped. East and west. Eggs easy over with all this trampolining. Then to read the final stanza of the poem, the reader needs to turn the book upside down to find a variant of the epigram to the Great Gatsby, a four-line poem Fitzgerald attributed to the non-existent Thomas Park de Villiers. Fitzgerald's poem appears to offer Gatsby some advice on how to woo Daisy. Then wear the gold hat if that will move her. If you can bounce high, bounce for her too, till she cry, lover, gold-hatted, high-bouncing lover, I must have you. Plunkett's version, however, takes the wooed or wooing woman's part and cries, yellow-hatted, yellow-radiant, high-jumping love, I must have you. So first of all, this is a book for those who love language, literature, and the varied resources of poetry with a similar passion. It is particularly for those who delight in the sounds and textures of words, for those who can surrender to their complex verbal associations as they resonate in the depths of the mind and with the traditions of literature, here particularly literature in English and Western European languages. The sea that gives its name to the title and which appears as a unifying feature throughout the book is the wet salt sea, but it is also, as is no doubt already apparent, the sea of intertextuality. There are many epigrams in this book. There are also dedications to, naming of, as well as frequent snippets from other writers throughout kindly referenced in the notes at the end of the book. More oblique references are left for the reader to discover or not. The themes of love and loss are investigated, often at a far more anguished pitch later in the book, but these are set in the first poem, Soundbridge. Soundbridge. My son sings the lacrimosa in Hodonin. Joy, bright teens, with a hundred Moravian choristers, lurch and tangle, the holding, the letting go. Light in his eyes, love, last part of the last piece, Mozart transcribed, unfinished, we finish, 
nothing. Others will complete what we have started. Parents, teachers, struck as if by felt-covered hammers, while they make notes from loss, heart, flange. But no, no hearts in poems, says my novelist friend. Lacrimosa, dies ila, all day griefs weft across joys, warp, quiet music, tension, strings and frame of what we can't teach because we are still learning what I can't protect you from, can't come close to, must damper love, words untranslatable, but we feel their heft, close, light as breath, as in the piano's belly a bridge, the young composer, eight final mournful soaring bars echoing handle, bar, solace, the stretch between then and now. And now, if we are lucky, an angel strikes us into song. It's the same bridge to love for us all. Mozart, Dylan, Rilke, who, if I cried out, would hear me? The same question, the same notes in new throats, same lessons strung across centuries, wound strings out of a dark cave, and angels, when we meet them, might whistle and have beards or backpacks and latin alight with gain, and again you feel you want to, can almost sing. This poem is composed in triplets, with almost every line ending in a fragmented phrase. This form creates an almost syncopated rhythm and a sense of delayed resolution, which to some degree parallels the music of the Lacrimosa itself. Lacrimosa, dies illa, weeping that day, are the first words of that section of Mozart's Requiem which pleads for mercy for guilty man when he rises from ashes on the day of judgment. Perhaps we should listen to some of the Mozart. But if the music is a plea addressed to gentle Lord Jesus from a place of abasement, the poem is more confident of a joyful, even everyday meeting with angels, despite the presence of loss and grief that make the weft to joys warped throughout. At the simplest level, Sound Bridge seems to be a personal and biographical meditation. Through it, Plunkett lets go of her son, only to grasp him again in his disappearance into the future. This emotional renunciation corresponds to how he, as part of the choir, lets go of the notes he is singing only to find the next note, the next breath. This is love enacted, even as the poem explicitly acknowledges that loving is not something that we can ever finish learning. But to return to the form, 
The line endings here, as elsewhere in the book, allow for provisional meanings to be unsettled in a surprising way that does not completely erase the first impression. So the first line, My song sings the lacrimosa in Hodonin, joy, becomes My song sings the lacrimosa in Hodonin, joy bright teens. There is some irony in the fact that these young choristers may not yet know the bitterness of life's finitude and so might well find the hopes and fears that prompted the lacrimosa quite alien. Perhaps this is why Plunkett addresses much of her poem to the public we of guilty man and woman, which of course includes herself. Speaking intertextually, this poem is laden with references apart from the lacrimosa and the naming of Mozart, Handel, Bach, Dylan and Rilke, there is Hodonin, which is a town in the Czech Republic, the repeated images of weaving and the words wound strings out of a dark cave, which may, in part, refer to the fate-weaving norns from Wagner's Goethe Dameron. And the question, who, if I cried out, would hear me, is a contraction of the first words of Rilke's Dueno elegies, which are, in fact, who, if I cried out, would hear me among the angelic orders. Perhaps it would be good to read the poem a second time, this time not pausing so much at the end of each line. Sound Bridge My song sings the lacrimosa in Hodonin, joy bright teens with a hundred Moravian choristers, lurch and tangle, the holding, the letting go, light in his eyes, love. That last part of the last piece Mozart transcribed, unfinished. We finish nothing. Others will complete what we have started. Parents, teachers, struck as if by felt-covered hammers while they make notes from loss, heart flange, but no, no hearts in poems, says my novelist friend. Lacrimosa, dies illa, all day grief weft across joy's warp, quiet music, tension, strings and frames of what we can't teach because we are still learning what I can't protect you from, can't come close to, must damper love. Words untranslatable, but we feel their heft close, light as breath, as in the piano's belly, a bridge, the young composer, eight final mournful soaring bars, echoing Handel, Bach, solace, the stretch between then and now, and now, if we are lucky, an angel strikes us into song. It's the same bridge to love for us all. Mozart, Dylan, Rilke, who, if I cried out, would hear me? The same question, the same notes in new throats, same lessons strung across centuries, wound strings out of a dark cave, and angels, when we meet them, might whistle and have beards or backpacks and Latin alight with gain, and again you feel you want to, can almost sing. While references to the wider tradition abound in Soundbridge, 
intertextuality is abundantly evident within the book as well. Apart from the constant return to the reality and metaphor of the sea, the poetry makes almost obsessive use of the vocabulary with which we describe language. There are also many references to doctors, hospitals, and the more and less well-known features of the human anatomy. But I am particularly struck by the fact that the noun angels, perhaps a risky word to use too much in poetry, appears at least seven times and the adjective angelic once. Perhaps I would not be alone in tracing its ghost in the appearance of its stranger half-siblings as angle, angular, angled, tangled, jangled and even in salvaged. Angels, I feel are almost as important in a kinder sea as the sea itself. How so? The poem strand begins with the words, every poem has a secret addressee. And the question of addressee remains alive through the entire collection. Soundbridge uses mostly we, but the majority of the poems in the collection feature an often unavailable, you. You seems at times to be a lost or absent lover, at others an explicitly named individual or object, and at others Plunkett herself. Often enough this you is also the reader as unknowable participant in Plunkett's poetic endeavour. Here we skirt Rilke's angel, the transcendent other, who is ultimately perhaps the whole poetic tradition itself. As Rilke, in a fine summation of the sublime, continues in that first elegy, for beauty is nothing but the beginning of terror, which we are barely able to endure, and it amazes us so, because it serenely disdains to destroy us. Every angel is terrible. Plunkett's many interlocutors need to be kept in mind, I feel, while listening to the final poem of the collection, which has an epigram by Mark Dotty and takes and incorporates many rhymes from Bob Dylan's Make You Feel My Love. These rhymes are bracketed and provide a sustaining counterpoint to the story of the poem's intrepid and finally self-reconciled heroine. Perhaps it would be a good idea to remind you of the song before I read the poem. Inclined, after Bob Dylan's Make You Feel My Love. The word love is merely a sign that means something like the way to the mountain, Mark Dotty. What the mountain thinks you can't know when it leans the weight of its shadow on you, tall, how much it might say fall or thrall like a lover telling all you don't know. But something's in step like black and blue and avenue and you all backpack and crampon, ice, axe your way through, poster girl for grit. You can't wait. Think of love as losing weight, caught weightlessness, Ascend, impatient as snow, don't know how, don't know where, melt becomes avalanche, 
ego stunts and chuspah are the go. Don't know what you can't know. Find yourself lost, but stars appear. So step by step, go up, dry your tears. Keep in mind the rhyme, rain on face, warm embrace. The rhyme of it, the pulse, climbing in iambics, and you can know. You stumble, skirt the glacier, syncopate or trip and have to use your little kit, your grit, you do know. Though it's nothing you've known, find you've left behind flat foot heels, the boot in the ice, face, powder and slide, and you climb patient, find you can wait. Watch the mountain waking to remember rolling sea, speechful, whistling love whispers, wild and free and the summer isn't some mystery since you do know its song its height and its gaze its quietitude and steep of calm the way this climb takes heart and breath from you and gives them back lighter can never be known but walking here you do know You've been listening to Alice Wanderer review the book A Kinder Sea by Felicity Plunkett, which is published by the University of Queensland Press. And my name is Di Cousins. Um, Well, Alice, that's an amazing review. Thank you very much for that. Well, I really enjoyed reading the book and I I really advise anybody who um, enjoys um, poetry that loves language to um, get hold of a copy and and read it. It's well worth it. Yes. Um, the University of Queensland Press is a really good publisher and they're regularly putting out poetry books and um, and luckily we have a, a friendly relationship with them and they send us their books and I'm, I'm really pleased about that. I'm really pleased yeah, that we've well, been able to... Yeah, well, it's good to, to see uh, publishers still going. <laughs> yes, and a university one at that. So, yes. yeah, and it, it's great to see so many authors in print. And uh, as you said, this was Felicity Plunkett's second full-length collection, so mm. um, a significant work. Um, now, uh, we're recording um, during lockdown, so Alice is uh, talking to me on the telephone and um, and I'm in the studio uh, as opposed to where we used to be all in the studio together. Um, so how are you going in lockdown at the moment in Melbourne? Well, I'm in, I'm in a kind of super lockdown at the moment because yesterday I went to get a, a coronavirus test. Um, I wasn't really very ill, but <laughs> after seeing Daniel Andrews' plea that anybody who had any symptoms at all ought to go and get tested, I did. So that means I have to wait for the test uh, to come back before I can even walk my dog, which means that we're both kind of stir-crazy in here. Yeah. Um, but luckily it's a beautiful day, so yeah. I can see that, or uh, um, and I'm lucky enough to have a tiny garden I can go outside into. So, you know, when I think of like refugees and other people, I think, well, this is perhaps a good experience for me to be having right now. Yeah, well, I mean, it it does put things in perspective when we find it hard to just be indoors when yeah, at yes, least we're exactly. in homes, you know. Yes, 
Yes, and can do whatever we like. Yeah. yeah. So, um, well, I think um, it's been a bit of a fruitful time for poetry, for different kinds of reflections on um, the world and our interdependence, and you know, the global nature of of of, of the human experience, really. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, right down to the level of the air we breathe. Mm, that's right, it's all shared air. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Okay, well, thank you, Alice, for coming on the program and for reviewing... Well, thanks for inviting me. It was lovely to have the chance to review this book. Um, um, I really enjoyed doing it, um, and I hope um, it gets uh, a few more people to read it. Yeah, well, I, I think... Um, it will find its readership. So, um, so thank you for reviewing it for 3CR. Thank you. Okay. Okay. You've been listening to the 3CR Spoken Word Program. And we're going to go out with some music from Nick Cave, one of my favourite songs of his, Into My Arms.
into my arms But I believe in Into my 